You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Rolling into the four o'clock hour here in just a second. Willie Cofield, I'm on the road. You can hear the uh, innovative horn at the Vieja San Diego State hosting your Running Rebels coming up at six o'clock, five thirty. With uh, John and Curtis and Running Rebel warm up, we got a hockey game starting up here in just a couple minutes. Willie, as uh, well, the Knights haven't been playing great hockey of late, and now they hit the road, and it does not get any easier at all. I mean, this is quite the gauntlet. Yeah, I mean, they start tonight in Washington, and believe it or not, we got a tribute video maybe getting ready to uh, to be played in Washington. Chandler Stevenson since arriving here. Believe, believe it or not, really, he is starting in his first game in Washington since the trade. Okay. Even though he was traded more than two years ago, obviously because of COVID, the bubble, and then last year with the way that the divisions were set up, or I should say, yeah, last year now because we're in 2022, uh, last season. But uh, the Golden Knights, they finished up that homestand Luckily, getting out of a game with the Montreal Canadiens, one of the worst teams in the league, with an overtime victory. God, you, you, that really annoyed you. Well, it's, I mean, it's factual. I'm just speaking facts. Well, you're editorializing a little bit. How? Montreal has eight wins this season. That That tone right there. They're, that's editorializing. They're just deliver the facts, man. It's Sports no, no, Talk no. Radio. The tone no is it's to hear you, an opinion. not at Vegas. Okay. Because... I'm getting defensive because of you, because you're saying that it doesn't. I mean, I just said a fact. They they lucked out. They almost lost to one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. I mean, everyone in the audience can hear what he's doing, right? I'm just saying. Now they go on the road and they got Washington, Carolina tomorrow. Then they got a trip to the Sunshine State to play the Panthers, who have been playing well. They play the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Four-game swing. Riley Smith is in COVID protocol. Um, doesn't look like Mark Stone's playing. Max Pacioretty still waiting to hear what he's going to do. He's well, you a, he, are you are a Debbie Downer <laughs> to start this road trip. Well, with all your facts. So, according to a couple of the guys, the projected lineup per the television broadcast team: William Carrier, Chandler Stevenson. Genny Dadanoff are on the top line. Yanmark, Carlson, Marchessault. Second line, Romberg, Roy, Kolasar. Third line, Howden, Patrick, Amadeo. Fourth line. Okay, so, I mean, that's the star lineup that we knew was going to lead this team to the Stanley Cup this year, obviously. So, uh, <laughs> Caps are 150 tonight. Caps are 150. I'll take the Golden Knights plus one and a half. I think that they're going to keep it close. I think that they. I think it'll be a physical game because you know where the Golden Knights play great on the road. Uh, we talked about it last week. I, I said that I feel that that revenge week it took a lot out of them, and I think that those other teams came in with a lot more fire, a lot more anger. They were playing angry, just very deliberate. Golden Knights were playing a little bit passive. I think they're going to go on the road with a chip on their shoulder. You know, those radio guys that are just talking with vehement about them, whoever they may be, AP guys, I think that they're going to play with the chip on the shoulder in all four games and, and, and being told that this is a tough road trip for them and can, they have to make a statement. So I think that they will. 
Capitals going to add Evander Kane, your guy? What's that? I, say that again. Are the Capitals going to add Evander Kane, your guy? Oh, man. Not my guy, but that's on the table, right? How interesting would that be? Very so, much. I, I, With I, all that's going on around him, very much. I I saw that in the headlines. That, uh, can you imagine if the Washington Capitals are considering Evander Kane? No deal imminent, but it's out there. Uh, the Oilers are showing serious interest, which would be kind of wild and keep them in the Western Conference and that Pacific Division. But now the Capitals have discussed the possibility of signing Kane, according to Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman. There's nothing done, no contract or anything like that. But the Capitals are another team in addition to the Oilers that have looked into this Washington. Now, if you remember, Steve, earlier this football season, one night when we were out at our Thursday spot, Silver Sevens, we had Stephen Wino on. He was in the parking lot waiting to go in to cover the Capitals. He's probably there covering the Caps and the Golden Knights. And he was waiting to cover the Golden Knights or the, the Capitals and the Blackhawks that night. We were talking about Marc Andre Fleury, and he said he predicted, which has now come up. Since we've turned the corner, we turned the page, we're in 2022, trade deadline coming up. It's now come up again. The Capitals and the Penguins, possible landing spots by the trade deadline for Marc-Andre Fleury. But Wino predicted that Marc-Andre Fleury would be a Washington Capital because they needed some stability in between the pipes. And it would be a good contender for him to land at. I'm kind of still hoping that that happens. Can you imagine they bring in Evander Kane and Marc-Andre Fleury and they rematch in the Stanley Cup final at the T-Mobile Arena? (laughs) That would be fantastic. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four, number five. Well, our conversation got truncated there with Dave Koken, but we were going down the path about the overtime, and I thought most of the reaction yesterday after the uh, Bills and Chiefs you know, ends on one possession, Chiefs go down and score the touchdown, I thought most of the complaining and the uh, sentiment that, oh, what a shame that Josh Allen didn't get a chance with the ball in overtime, I thought it was all kind of bunk. I mean, I'd, I'd li- I'd, I would like to see them change the overtime rule, but that was not my first thought. After no. that game, that somehow the Bills got screwed by the rules. Now, the, the Bills got screwed in a lot of ways by themselves. Right. And that's, yeah. I mean, so I'm not going to keep repeating myself on the right. show, but I guess I'll repeat myself. The Bills didn't get screwed by the rules. They didn't get screwed by the coin flip. How about this? Go out there and stop yep. the Kansas City Chiefs with your number one ranked defense in so many categories. That's That's the bottom line. I mean, you know. You, the way that that defense played, and now all of a sudden you just kind of pull up lame. I don't care how much momentum that you you know you you want to say that the Chiefs had. That's on that's on the Bills' defense. We can sit there and, and point fingers however you want, but Ari's right. Bills fans angry, just being angry. Or if you he's do the overtime rules suck, or is it just if you're a Bills fan? How about both? You know, we also talked about the uh, p- potential possibility of squib kicking and wasting some time Yeah, you know, with 13 seconds left. Koken uh, retorted on that one and said, well, they probably would have just taken a knee. Right. So what, one second would have come off? What if it's a good squib kick that gets to, like, the eight-yard line? They're going to take a knee at the eight? Okay, how many what-ifs do you, would you like to do? Honestly. I mean, we could do a bunch of what-ifs if you want on a squib kick. We could do a bunch of what if they do this? What if they did that? What if he, what if he well, kicked? But I, think you're, I think you're stuck on the fact that, like, no one – 
on social media said anything about a squib kick before they kicked no, it off. But that I doesn't d- mean that just because people weren't paying attention and they're not thinking like a coach. Look, McDermott I- is paid. To be the guy. Yeah. Special teams coach is right. paid to be the guy. Right, right, right. No, no, you know, no, no. Make, I'm not make, disagreeing. Make the right decision. They I'm not disagreeing. I, listen, I'm not disagreeing with the fact that it, it came up after the fact. What I All I was saying was that I would say the majority of the people that we're seeing post that or make comments on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter posts, those people saw are saying it because they saw somebody else say it. They were not thinking it yesterday. They were not. The majority of the sports fan were not sitting in their living room going, better squib quick it. And they saw somebody else post it. Does that mean that I'm saying that nobody thought of that? No. But at hindsight's 2020. So, yeah, it could have worked. But it also maybe didn't. Right? You could have had some good hands people out there. They take a knee. They time out. Boom. Okay, so now he's got 12 seconds. I mean, the fact of the matter is that he still pulled off what he pulled off because Bill's defense choked. Number four. What did you think of the tackling on the idiot Chiefs fan who ran onto the field? Both by a player and a security guard. Uh, I got to be real honest, I missed it. No. Yes. You did not. I swear to you. Oh, you got to watch it during the break, yeah. Okay. Fan comes out, Stefan Diggs was like, okay, bro. Planted him, and then the security guard freaking body slammed him even harder. But you know, the, the for me, the worst thing... Because, I don't know, I guess there are people out there who think it's funny. I'm not saying post in the video, uh, but they think running on the field is funny. That is, a like, at that point in the game, the the most disturbing part is the guy, and I'm assuming he was extremely lubed up, the guy's getting pulled off the field and he's just laughing because he knows nothing's going to happen. There's not going to be a real penalty. There never is a real penalty. What I mean, you know, but we're going to ban you from the stadium. What does that do? Uh, I have to. I have to be. I have to confess something. Confess what? You know that twice a year I take the journalism hat off, right? Yes. And, and I work for only twice. Our, our boy Mark Wallington, Vegas Kickoff Classic. Now, usually it's just once a year, but now it's twice a year. The Vegas Kickoff Classic and the Las Vegas Bowl. And I kind of just they, they, they dubbed the sideline marshal, where you're going around making sure the security guards are actually doing their job in making sure the photographers are staying in the photo box, staying out of the team box, you know, uh, not pointing their pictures at the, or their cameras at the cheerleaders, so on and so forth. And then just kind of just overseeing the field in general. I have to admit that I have thought about times like, man, I really hope that this is the game where someone runs on the field and I could just be the one that sticks him like a free safety. Just, he's not paying attention because he's seeing the regular security guards in their bright orange or yellow tops. And then I just run on the field and just lay a shoulder into somebody. I've thought about that. That would be kind of cool. Yes. <laughs> that's a good, you know what, actually, maybe that is, that is, uh, that's a good answer to my question. It was kind of convoluted about three minutes ago. Who actually enjoys people running on the field? Maybe the security guards do. Yeah, I mean, you, I can do whatever I want. Yes, pretty you much. Think about it, and, and not only that, but you end up like on sports. And now you got to make sure you lay the hit because if you get laid oh, out, you miss. Yeah, or if you if get laid out, if you yeah, go into, that, yeah. if you go in to make the hit, and then you get flattened, you get trucked. That would be brutal. But so you'd have to. That's why I'm saying that for me, like I'm not a security guard, but I'm still, I'm still a, a, a game official on the field, right? So, so. So, Willie's, all, Willie's all amped up? Yeah, now I'm ready. Sending out a dare. I can't, I can't wait till the Vegas kickoff classic. Just challenge. Of course, yeah, the, now there'll be some 
some big dude from like Gorman, and he'll just goes, "There's that guy that was under," and then he'll run, and then I'll just get let it be like someone like Brevin Jordan size, and I'll just get laid. Uh, either way, I'll make it a sports center. Did you have some commentary on on females watching football this weekend? Uh, I'm, no. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a scared where this is going to go. No, uh, and it's uh, and, and, I, and I sure hope it doesn't come across. I'm not trying to Uh-oh. in any way slam or I never want to come across misogynistic. But I will say this: that I've noticed this since the end of the regular season, the last week of the regular season, and then the first two weeks of the playoffs. You know, it's one thing you trash talk, you t- you know, and, you, and you're going back and forth and your boys and you're seeing it all over. Oh, I can't wait. Da, 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 da. Let's do this. Or they'll post stuff on the three different platforms, media, you know, main social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, but what I've really noticed more than anything this year, especially when I post my stories that I've written or whatever, is women that don't women sports fans. I've just noticed this. They've been the majority of. Let Uh-oh. me put it that way. Oh, they if they don't have a dog in the fight, they get really ugly and vile with their comments over players or teams that they what? hate. Like yes, like okay. So when the Raiders beat the Chargers, the next week, right? When the Bengals beat the Raiders, like I saw a ton of Chargers fans who were females, like just vile comments on oh, Facebook wow. about the Raiders. Um, Maybe that's just female Charger fans. No, no, because it carried over. I've seen it time and time again. Where I need they, proof of this. Okay, I'm gonna next time. I'm just gonna screenshot and start sending it Let's to you. Let's do it. But, I want to see. I want to see the evidence that uh, women just, are getting nastier and nastier when it comes to sports. Yeah, Brady or go. Oh, you know, uh, Brady and Rogers not in the play now. And and there are. Don't get me wrong. There are men that are saying this too. But I'm just saying it's more. It's like it's they're just really angry and and but and they don't like any of the teams that are being that are they're playing against. Are they angrier than men, or are you trying to be? Well, in a way, are you being chauvinistic? No. Women shouldn't act like that. Act like a lady. No, 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 no. I, I, what, what I, what it goes further in that. Okay, so now if you're going to talk like a sports fan, then you get to be talked to like a sports fan. How's that? Okay. So I don't want to hear any, any, you know, oh, don't talk to me like that, or I'm a da 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 da. And there's, you're not going to say call somebody out of out their name and derogatory, but I'm just saying, I've just noticed that they're, that just, you know, women just, sports fans are just... a favor, just start retweeting me with like a pair of eyes okay. on Twitter. Just like, you don't even have to explain why you're retweeting it. I'll know, yeah. like, here's a nasty female. Okay. It's a nasty woman. Angry. Very nasty. They're angry. Have, by women. the way, we haven't heard those lines in a while. A very nasty woman. All right, next up. <laughs> Number three. Ari is very proud of himself. Because he's claiming now, I've never seen this before, he's claiming now that he said the Bucks were frauds and not going to make it. Ari? Yeah, I've been putting it on the rundown for a while. I also put that I didn't want to see Julian Edelman throw away hundred grand because wasn't his bet that the Bucks and the Patriots would be the Super Bowl matchup that we all wanted to see. Yeah, and here we are. It's the Rams. Bruh. Bruh. Yeah, I have, I have no basis. They're just, it, I'm really just going off of vibes. Like, it, it felt like something wasn't there. And, and obviously with the Antonio Brown and all these different things. But I don't know. Everyone was pretty sure that the Bucks were going to the Super Bowl. So I just wanted to point out that I was not fully sure on all of that earlier. It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000. Yo, the rule is the way the rule is. Get a stop on defense. Don't allow them the opportunity. This is not a participation trophy. 
Like, this is what the rules are. Go out and win the game. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Hard-hitting stuff. Jason Williams. It's a great morning show. Keyshawn as well. Why are you flexing, Willie? I'm just checking myself out. I was in. I was I'm in. A, I was in a Zoom meeting with Team Perfect today uh, for Jordan's upcoming 21 Day Challenge, which he's making me pay for. By the way, I oh, have wow. to. I, yeah, I have to pay for it. So I'm just looking at where the physique is now and where it's going to go. So every time I oh, get wow. a chance through the camera on the stream, you know, so. you flex it up. Yeah. All right. Well, this week. The uh, story of the week is going to be coaching in the NFL. And not just head coaching spots, Willie. It's going to be coordinators. You wonder how much longer the Raiders can kind of hold off Gus Bradley and Basaccia because I think both guys, both guys will be coveted, at least uh, you know for their, their current gig. They'll be yeah. coveted somewhere else. So how much longer do those guys hold off suitors? It, it, it's tough to say, especially, you know, Basachi is one thing because he's going to hold off, and I think he'll, he's going to just hold off. Or behind closed doors, they had their meeting last week, which I don't think was an interview. I think it was just sort of a sit-down. They had a sit-down with the consigliere. Um I think they just had a sit-down to discuss, you know, the direction and here's what we're going to do and, you know, we're going to feel out the process type thing. And then, But he's got to hold it. He's got to wait, right? He's got to he's – but a guy like Gus Bradley – you know, especially like to, for a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers that are in rebuild mode, and you know, Ben Roethlisberger plays his last game. This is a team that you know could be built with its defense until it finds really somebody who can. I don't think that there's going to be a quarterback that's just going to come in there and just overwhelm the AFC North all of a sudden. Um, but you know, there's some challenges there. Think about that. You got Lamar Jackson. Yep. You got Joe Burrow. You got Baker Mayfield, so why not go the defensive route? Um, Keith Butler retires. I mean, I, I totally could see them going. Now, there is supposed to be, you know, it's favored to, to stay in-house, and they're going to elevate and promote somebody. But still, a team like that, a team that's on the verge of getting back to contending or, or you're in rebuild mode, Gus Bradley is a clear choice because if they don't bring back Basaccia, and they hire somebody else, that person is likely going to want to bring in their own staff, their own people, unless it's someone with Bradley ties. But, you know, I stand behind the fact that what we talked about so many times and that this is a guy that did his job in the one year he was there. Um, Are you surprised? I've seen a bunch of fans, Raiders fans, say, eh, you know, if Bradley goes, he goes. He actually didn't do that great a job. Yeah, well. That's because they have the same mentality that I do today. The angry attitude in terms of, you know, it wasn't a great game because the defense is let down. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is the defense as a whole, it let down in different ways, different times, and didn't, you know, but I can point to several games where the defense failed because it was tired because the offense couldn't stay on the field long enough. Three and outs left and right because the other defense was playing good. And that defense played good, or the Raiders' defense played good until the second half or the fourth quarter, and they were just tired. They were wore thin. So yeah, I, I think Bradley did a good job. I and, think and, 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 over- 
So they played their best defense when they needed to. Yes. Right? At the they end of the their... season when they were beat to hell. Yeah. That's that unit carried the Raiders to the playoffs. Right. This was a this was a unit that had, you know, um questionable secondary coming in that surprisingly was playing well. The linebacking core um, brought in some veteran leadership. You had Max Crosby obviously doing what he did with Yannick Ngakwe. So oh, for the overall, in, in the product that it put on the field, compared to the last two years when that offense did its job, and you can point to specific games where the defense failed, and that's why the Raiders had second-half collapses. Whereas this year, you can point to so many different things, intangibles on and off the field. I thought the defense improved dramatically under Gus Bradley. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. Stafford, deep downfield. He's got Cup again. He's at the 10. Stafford says, let's get down there. We got we to gotta clock it. We got to get the field goal. He spikes it there, and Matt Gay will come in and try to win the game. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Crazy day yesterday, crazy day Saturday. It's funny, um, our guest in 20 minutes is John Von Tobel, and he was tweeting out uh, yesterday that, uh, what do you do if you're not a sports fan on a, on a Sunday? Can you imagine not watching? I mean, there are a lot of people who are not sports fans. Reading but books. For the rest of us, we're like, yeah, that was that was unbelievable. It was, although throwing cold water on it a little bit was Willie, who wanted to get on the defenses and the uh, the Chiefs and Bills. Uh, Chad Brown played defense in the NFL. He's got a long broadcasting career. You can hear him uh, on the fan in Denver. Former Patriot and Seahawk and Steeler, and joins Cofield and Company here in Vegas. Chad, how you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic, fellas. How you guys doing? We're good. Uh, one of us is very grumpy. It's not me. Um, the Chiefs and Bills. Did you walk away from that game going, my God, the defenses? Did you want to get on the defenses? Uh, do they deserve to get blasted? Uh, I, yeah, I, I think they do. Uh, I mean, obviously, the quarterback play in that game was amazing. But in the end, it came down to the Bills' defensive failures, which was really decided the game. Everyone's pointing to the overtime rules and all that. But in the end, the Bills' defense could not stop the Chiefs' the most critical moments in the ball game. So I have to ask you, as a deep former defensive player, you can appreciate and like the types of games that you saw on Saturday where all three units, in a sense, came to play football. Yes. Uh, I do have a, a, a greater appreciation in my football heart. I understand the football public well. Uh, uh, the believe that this wasn't something that was made up, that there's a factual component to that. And for the 49ers, can add defense and special teams to that cliche uh, thing. Talking to Chad Brown, former Steeler and uh, media personality endeavor. Chad, so let me ask you, um, you're watching the Chiefs and the Bills, and you're seeing those last 13 seconds, a lot of the chatter that came out after the fact squib kick but that's not something that's guaranteed when you're watching that what are you thinking before the kick what you personally a former player you're watching that um where you're saying to yourself okay here's what should take place or 
when you're watching that, do you not think like that? Because anything can happen no matter which decision is made. Uh, I'm thinking about the defensive strategy. What are you going to try to do if you're the Buffalo Bills defensively and you're Leslie Frazier? They went with protecting the sideline, kind of trying to force the Chiefs into the middle of the field, which is what the Chiefs took advantage of. There were defenders lined up with their backs to the sideline, forcing the Chiefs to stay in bounds. The Chiefs were just extremely efficient in stark contrast to what we saw the Cowboys do a couple of weeks back. The Chiefs had it all, you know, rehearsed, practiced. Everyone on the field knew exactly what to do versus the Cowboys who didn't. So they were able to take advantage of what would have a traditional NFL coverage in those situations. Play the sidelines, force them into the middle field, tackle these guys, limiting these big games. They did that. The Chiefs were just very efficient at it. It's probably not better prepared than the Bills were for that moment. In the other game, uh, the Rams <clears throat> dominate early, take a 27-3 lead, and then Tom Brady, another defensive collapse. I mean, it's it's Brady, yes, and you can say, well, you can't let him do that, but the, the, the team that's going to let them do – any unit that lets him do that – to me, that was another. It's a, here's another clear example where everybody's excited about a close finish, an incredible game, but it didn't have to be if the Rams continued to, you know, if they would have played the way they were playing early on. Yeah, I think the story is always so interesting that you know we as the media tell because we do talk about the close games and we do talk about you know the quarterback, but in that conversation, the poor defensive play gets gets lost. Um, yeah, I think all the quarterbacks in all four games uh, over the weekend are pretty good. But the two games, particularly on Sunday, those are all really good quarterbacks. Um, and so it is an uphill battle for those defenses. But somewhere along the way, the truth has to be told. Uh, Tampa Bay is not very good at secondary. Rams couldn't play a full four quarters against Tom Brady. Uh, both the Bills and the Chiefs, they allowed those quarterbacks to do what they did. You know Josh Allen is fucking run with it. Keep some pocket integrity. Frank Clark, you know, have a, some basic awareness of who your opponent is when you're playing these guys. It seemed like defensively, at some point, they all kind of collectively lost their minds on Sunday. So let's look ahead to next week. Rams and 49ers meet at SoFi, NFC West rivalry. Um, first time we're going to see a conference championship and a Super Bowl hosted in the same stadium. Um, NFC championship. What do you think? Ah, man, it's, it's tough when you play a team three times. There's a lot of difficulty in that. Uh, I was part of a team that, uh, you know, played an old AFC Central. That's how old I am. An old AFC Central rival three times in the course of the season. Um, and so, the, obviously, the familiarity is there between the opponents. And so I think it really comes down to whatever subtle adjustments that coaches can do that will allow the players on the field to think, oh, I've seen this play before, and now there's a little bit uh, deeper wrinkle to it. There's a playoff of that, that play that we've seen uh, maybe five or six times during the course of the season in our two games during conference play, uh, sorry, division play. So that subtlety is going to be the deciding factor there. And in that factor, I'm going to go with Kyle Shanahan. He just has so much creativity, and the depth of his play calling is just so deep. Chad, what's going to be the biggest quarterback change? What's going to be the biggest quarterback story in the offseason? Wow. Uh, and obviously Aaron Rodgers certainly didn't make it seem like he was a definite to return to Green Bay. Uh, we've always heard the, the rumblings with Russell Wilson for over a year now. 
And then, you know, I make my home in Denver, where, you know, the Aaron Rodgers rumor started last year on draft day. So Broncos served me hungry. George Payton, the general manager, has accumulated tons of cash, tons of cap space, and 11 draft picks for this coming season. So the Broncos are certainly going to be a player going after, I'd imagine, both of those guys. I think one of those two will be pried away from Green Bay or Seattle. Yeah, I agree. I think I think they're both moving. You know, I'll I'll give you the wild card team, and I because I see all these lists about where Rodgers could go. <clears throat> this organization's been pretty aggressive in the past. Shouldn't the Titans be looking to upgrade? You know, they've they've got this team of now. They've got a guy who you know is expected to win. He's been winning, and Mike Vrabel. They were in on Peyton Manning before Denver got Manning. Couldn't the Titans be in for one of these big quarterbacks? You know, I would think so. I think from a Coaching perspective, uh, from a John Robinson, general manager with the Titans perspective, you know, we've seen the feeling for Ryan Tannehill. So now, at some point, if we want to make a deeper run with our style of play, typically they want to win the game on the ground, play some good defense, uh, be very efficient with play action and on third down, they've seen the feeling for Ryan Tannehill. If they want to take another step forward, I think it's going to require a change at the quarterback position. So, Chad, i got to ask you, you know, you, you cover, you're up there in Denver, AFC West territory, um, a lot of interested parties out here in Las Vegas. Um, the Raiders, they got some uh, some moves to make, starting with general manager, coach, and quite possibly a shakeup with the roster. What what do you see from afar, but within the, you know, obviously covering this division? I did a couple of games for the Raiders uh, this year with Compass Media, so I got a chance to see them up close. And uh, there are, you know, some certain, you know, issues with the squad, obviously with some undisciplined nature, um, which showed up on and off the field this year. I thought uh, Rich Masaccio did a really good job stepping in to be the uh, interim coach. Um, but the, the amount of first-round misses by Mike Mayock, I think he deserved to be moved on. Uh, I know the players are in support of Versace coming back. Uh, we'll see what uh, you know. Davis has you know decided up in that owner suite up there, but there's a it's going to be an interesting offseason. I think across the AFC West somehow, if the Chiefs are able to win it, do they run it back again, or does Eric Bieniemy move on and get a job? For the Chargers, you know that playoff exit with, uh, or I suppose that loss to the Raiders felt like a playoff game. Uh, with Brandon Staley, some of the curious coaching in that game. Justin Herbert being the best best quarterback in the league. And then both the Raiders and the Broncos kind of looking to do a reboot and restart. So I think all across the AFC West, there's certainly questions there. Um, I think we've got our general manager in Denver. You guys are starting all the way over kind of with all pieces there. Um, it's going to be a very interesting offseason. Uh, is Masaccia a favorite amongst the fans out there to return? Or are they looking to go for a big hire? What do you think, Willie? Well, I, it's tough to say. I think that the the sentimental, you know, Raider guy, people, fans in general, and, and more so, I would say, not the diehards that carried over from Oakland, but like Las Vegas, the organic ones that they picked up. I think they they love a feel good story because they're the organic sports fans that cheered for the Golden Knights, so they love this nice guy, what he did, came in, so on and so forth. But I think I, I, I'll, I'll break in. I think about 20% of fans 
would be in favor of Basaccia, and that, that may be high because they've been titillated here, yeah. Chad, with the rumors about Jim Harbaugh. So it's, it. you know, it's hard to move off that mark when you potentially could get the biggest name who could be on the market. This is true. This is true. It's going to take a ton of money, but you're seeing the contract that David gave to Gruden, so throwing money at a coach doesn't seem to be too far out of his wheelhouse. Uh, but I think there's a lot to be said for special teams coordinators when they become head coaches. Uh, obviously, Harbaugh and Baltimore have had success in that role. When you're a special teams coordinator, you work with every player on the roster. Yep. So I, I know the league is loving all these young-minded offensive coaches who work with the quarterback. I think there's a lot to be said that's good for that. But a special teams coordinator who talks to every player, even the starting quarterback, has a backup role as a holder on field goal. So that special teams coordinator is really good at addressing the understanding the team culture, working with every single on the roster. So if it is Versace, if he needs gets a chance to come back, uh, his long-time experience as that role, I think, will help him moving forward as a If you're running the Raiders and Carr, Camp Carr comes to you and they're like, hey, he wants 35 mil a year for the next five years after this year, what do you do? Uh, I do it. I do it. Uh, you know, uh, what we've gone through in Denver after Peyton Manning, uh, I think there's been nine different quarterbacks who've taken a snap in a ball game for the Broncos since Peyton Manning left. None of them were very good. Constant, you know, turning over of coordinators and quarterbacks does not lead itself to success. Carr certainly has some flaws and needs to improve certain parts of the game. But having been in a town where there is a quarterback, he got one. I think you roll with that unless you can have a clear upgrade. And the salary cap is going to keep going up. So $35 million a year is really going to be a middling-level salary for quarterbacks, as mind-blowing as that is, two or three years down the road. Chad, that was awesome, man. We appreciate it so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. There he is, Chad Brown, former Patriot, Seahawk, Steeler. Yeah, not everyone is on board with the car getting five-year, $35 million a year, which, you know, is, that's, that's in that – that's in that market for, you know, a top 12 guy. And you just saw, you know, Kirk Cousins making gigantic money. Tannehill makes big money. And I think Carr's better than both of those guys. So it's a decision we've been talking about for a couple of years now, Willie. I'm on board with you making $35 million a year. Me too. Let's get that working, right? <laughs> you know a really good agent? I don't. Otherwise, I'd be making it right there with yeah, you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Company's eye on sports betting with John Von Tobel. We got running Rebel warm up coming up 5:30 right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, I'm courtside in San Diego at Viejas. Willie's back in our Finley Toyota Studios. John Von Tobel, parts unknown. We don't know where he is. What's up, John? Uh, I'm I'm good. You know, I realize that you're traveling. I, I will say. You never responded to my text message uh, well, earlier today. I was, uh, I was actually saving it for on air because I didn't have an answer for you. You were asking me about the status of Donovan Williams, second-leading mm-hmm. scorer for UNLV. So he was at shoot-around today, uh, but right now he's not warming up. So still a bit of a mystery if he's playing. And Josh Baker's not on the trip, nor is Marvin Coleman. So the Rebels could be down three players, and right now they're getting – Ten and a half against San Diego State. So what are you going to do? 
Well, I mean, I figured this matchup, like San Diego State, uh, for those who didn't see it, played, I think, the worst basketball game I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it was one of the on best defensive, defensive games in the history of college basketball. Be positive. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Aztecs with uh, 0.6 points per possession. It was absolutely disgusting. Amazing. Um, but look, it's like I tweeted it out on Saturday. Like For some reason, and somehow, San Diego State has had the same team for the last 10 years. And yep. it's just not great efficiently in terms of offense, but we're just going to pound the offensive glass. We're going to get second chance points, and we'll beat you with doing the little things. And I don't see why that's not the game plan here today. I do think 10.5 is somewhat large for a team uh, that is reliant on that kind of a game plan. But here's the thing. If Williams isn't going to be out there, as you mentioned, how important he is for UNLV, and if they're going to be that shorthanded, I'm not exactly enticed to, to take 10.5 with UNLV. So ultimately, if Williams is going to play, I think I was going to grab 10.5, but if it sounds like he's not, then I'm out. The uh, the total is also the other intriguing thing in these games with State. Right now it's at 126.5. As you mentioned, they played a 79 over the weekend against yeah. Boise. So is 126.5 too aggressive? Uh, it seems like it, just given right. the way that uh, San Diego State has played. Uh, it's funny, too, because you know me and, and my love for the NBA. I was watching that on Saturday, and I was like, you know, there's people out there who complain about, I guess, the quality of play in the association and somehow watch this and be like, this is how it's done. Like, it was, it's, it was terrible. Yeah. San Diego State and UNLV coming up, 6 o'clock tip right here on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, so we've talked most today about the Chiefs and the Bills. Do you know anyone who started going uh, to the money line market towards the end of the game and got in multiple money line bets on both sides? Uh, no, I don't know anybody personally. I know that there was a topic of conversation on Twitter and that there were a bunch of people who were uh, trying to get in or got in on, uh, allegedly, Kansas City near the end uh, against the uh, Buffalo Bills. So I don't know anybody personally, no. Yeah. But it was quite the, uh, if you look at the win probability chart and everything like that and some of the numbers, I know I think when the Bills kicked off, and maybe you can correct me because you guys were talking about this, uh, with the 13 seconds left, it was like minus 3,500 on an in-game line. Um, wow. It was pretty big. Yeah, I actually got in on the Bucks when it was 27-20. I yeah. got 14-1. to So I was like, oh, Brady, come back. All right, I'm in good shape here. And then all of a sudden, the zero coverage uh, did them in. <laughs> um, let's talk about that game and get back to the Chiefs and Bills here in a second. So what do you think of the Rams and the Buccaneers? And I can't remember, what did you play going in? So I had the Rams plus three, and, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. I think, look, when you start, I think any analysis of that game, it just comes down to, and it's something I brought up to you guys. Look, the Buccaneers were really shorthanded. They were really banged up, right? The worst didn't end up playing. He wasn't active in that game. Tom Brady was getting pressured. He got pressured more than any other game as a Buccaneer than he had in that contest. Von Miller all of a sudden looked resurgent against a shorthanded and, you know, banged up offensive line and this is it's it's almost you know, karma obviously is not the right word but it is somewhat like karma when the Buccaneers win their Super Bowl uh, along a banged up offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs they take advantage of it just tear them apart Patrick Mahomes has absolutely nothing and they end up winning that game and the same thing happened to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers here so like outside of all of the dramatic stuff that happened down the stretch which I think was all Rams done like Rams uh, issues and mistakes you know, you kind of saw that at some point it's a war of attrition, man. Like you got to be healthy in the NFL playoffs, and the Buccaneers weren't. John, the uh, Chiefs opened up six and a half point favorites against the Bengals. Now, I have been throughout the show saying, disagreeing that the Chiefs Bills was not the greatest playoff game played. It may have been one of the most exciting, but when you have two defenses collapse the way that they did, and just allow, you know, especially the Bills where they were. A, t- a top defensive categories throughout, you know, 
um, different, you know, different the, the statistical categories. Um, I, I tend to question that, that 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 big of a line, considering how well Joe Burrow showed some maturity and how well the Bengals play defense. I, I think that the, the the dog number looks kind of attractive. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I'm going to be Willie. I'm going to be on the Cincinnati side by the time we get to Saturday or so, excuse me, Sunday. It just depends on you know where this number goes. Because look, you know it's seven across the board, and we've talked about this today um, on V Center on our show, The Edge. Myself and my co-host Matt Humans. As a bookmaker, there's no reason to move off a of seven, right? So this is just going to sit here all week. You're starting to see like one or two shops. Like for example, Circa right now has the plus side uh, slightly shaded at minus one fifteen. There's also one seven and a half out there, but it's shaded to the dog side too. So we'll see what the market does with this. But as a bookmaker, there's no need to move off a of seven because if you go to six and a half, you're going to get a lot of money in on the favorite. And if you're going to go to seven and a half, just minus one ten, you're going to get a lot of money on the underdog. So it's going to be here all week. But I tend to agree with you. Like one of the things with Kansas City that I've kind of harped on here, and it made me nervous because I was on the Chiefs on Sunday, and it, it actually it bore fruit, which was this defense isn't fixed. This defense still has a lot of issues. You saw the 75-yard touchdown from the Buffalo Bills. You saw a lot of broken coverage. You saw a dude get his uh, jock strap actually juked out of his pants, right, at the end of that game for a touchdown. There's a lot of problems with these secondary players, and that's not going away here against the, the uh, Joe Burrow-led Bengals. And the other sneaky part of this for the defense for Kansas City they like to blitz a lot. They're a top-five team in terms of blitz rate in the National Football League. Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks against the blitz in the National Football League. Yeah. So uh, I think this is really, from, from my perspective, I agree. Like, seven seems strong for Kansas City, given the way that this defense has been playing. Mahomes has been great. He has changed the way he's been playing, especially when teams are dropping back in coverage against him. But it's really clear that that defense is fixed. And I would agree with the sentiment that a full seven, or if it gets to seven and a half minus 110, that would be the side I would be on. And let's not forget the confidence in the Bengals. Week uh, 17, 34-31 win over the Chiefs. NFC Championship rematch, third time they're playing. What do you like? Yeah, and so I'm going to pull this. I'll pull this up for you guys. Uh, I thought I had this up, but I did not. But regardless, I'll set this up. You know, you're going to hear a lot, right? Like it's hard to beat a team three times in one season, uh, and it's actually not the case. So if you go back, and this is from a football perspective, and this is from last season, so you have to add on this Buccaneers matchup that we saw last year against the Saints. If you remember, the Saints beat them twice in the regular season, yeah. absolutely smoked them, but then in the playoffs, the Buccaneers won that game. But if you look at it, uh, teams, the sweeping teams, so the team up 2 nothing in the regular season going for the third win in the postseason, it's actually 14-7, and seven, so we include the Buccaneers game in there, it's 14-8. and eight in those instances. So it's actually a lot easier to beat a team three times, uh, right, than it's initially thought of. But here's the thing for me. Jimmy Garoppolo, over his last four starts, has committed 10 turnover-worthy plays. He's only thrown two times. He's absolutely playing with fire. He is not a quarterback that has been safe with the football in any way whatsoever. And, and to me, that's a really big red flag. They've been getting away with murder. They got away with it uh, in the Green Bay Packers game. Jimmy Garoppolo's all over the place, committing a couple of turnover-worthy plays, was very inaccurate with the ball. But – their special teams wins that game for them here in a much more controlled environment in the dome. I, I just trust that Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco, like the San Francisco 49ers offense, he's going to shoot them in the foot. He has for four consecutive weeks now and throughout this entire season made these catastrophic mistakes. And on the other end, I get Matthew Stafford in this offense, which as we saw against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, can take big shots downfield, can throw it down, can actually challenge secondaries, which the San Francisco 49ers, again, you know, I mentioned with you guys, that's why I was on the Packers over the weekend. They have trouble with that. So I'm going to sit back and wait because the market's clearly on the San Francisco side. We saw this open four. It's down to three and a half with altered juice pretty much everywhere to the dog side. So minus 120 if you want to take the three and a half. 
I mean, I think the Rams are going to be pretty live here to uh, win this game and move on to the Super Bowl. And a lot of that for me is Jimmy Garoppolo, the way he's been playing. Well, here's the one good thing for anyone who wants to bet the Chiefs money line and the Rams money line is back on September 10th on this show, I did predict on our Cofield & Company predictions, I did say the Chiefs and the Rams were going to be the Super Bowl participants. Nobody else did, of course. But anyway. um, Really went on a limb there. Well, I mean, uh, you know. Hey, I, I, had, pa- I had Packers Chiefs. So. Cofield had Packers Chiefs. Adam had Packers Chiefs. I, uh, my preseason prediction for our NFL magazine before the season started was Browns and Packers. So, not going to get there. No, not, not going to make it. <laughs> hey, John, one last uh, question for you. Like 30 seconds left here. Um, are you going to play markets on the quarterbacks and their potential landing spots? And are we going to see a lot more legal books booking that this year with Rodgers and Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. Oh, you've you've definitely seen it in markets outside of Nevada for sure. Yeah, like that's a regular occurrence in like spots that have DraftKings up and everything like that. If it's offered out here, Steve, I would totally do it. But I think one of the issues we've seen with Nevada, they're a little behind the eight ball. They just don't want to offer stuff like that. We had yeah. one year, Tom Brady's year, and that was about it. Well, I hope they play catch up and start offering those. Me too. I, I don't see the gigantic risk and let you know they're not going to post great odds anyway and the limits i'm sure will be pretty low so john we appreciate it thank you always good to talk to you guys there he is john von tobel at me jvt vsin one o'clock monday to friday with matt humans on the edge all right so update now on donovan williams he is warming up now so gigantic factor in this game willie i mean you got a guy um you know who before going out like eight minutes before this last game he was a late scratch against San Jose. He's averaging 20.4 points per game over his last eight. They have to have him to have a real chance in this game. And Like we said, they're getting 10 and a half. The crazy thing in this series, Willie, it's 18 of 20 now for San Diego State. And the even crazier part is when you look back at the series and the scores, like the last, you know, the Rebels won down here and ended the unbeaten season for San Diego State in uh, 2020, but the last six games, so they've won five of six. One point win, eight, four, three point loss, nine point win, seven point win. It's just one of those matchups, you know, yep. that you're going to, you put out, you leave everything out on the floor, and that's, you know, it's, that's the type of rivalry that this has been, and, you know, for however long. Well, the Rebels, the, the, Re- the formula is stay close. Right. Yeah. Obviously, you got to you got to play defense on the same level. Sure. You can't have silly turnovers because San Diego State feast off of you know easy easy layups, but a couple of picks at midcourt or at the three point line. Avoid that, and then last five minutes, San Diego State's defense goes to otherworldly, and at that point, you got to be playing good offense. Like when the Rebels came down here and won. They played team offense, and they also had a very hot Elijah Mitchell along in that game, mm-hmm. and they got it done. Um, just Bryce Hamilton trying to go one-on-four, and this is not digging on Bryce. A lot of times there are no other options, or at least it seems like there are no other options. So that's what Bryce does. But Bryce trying to beat the defense if this game's close with five minutes left by himself, that ain't going to work. So Jordan McCabe's got to make some shots. Bryce Ham has to make sure he stays on the floor, not get in foul trouble. And Donovan Williams at whatever he is, if it's 80 or 90%, has got to have a game where he hunts for shots. He cannot be passive in this one. Well, I think you touched on it specifically. I mean, because, I mean, 
We can sit here and say you got to play defense, you got to hit your shots, you got to pass the ball, you got to p- get the high percentage shots. It's all obvious things, but I think the the big key with this team against a team like San Diego State is the turnovers. Because what you're going to do is you're going you cannot let San Diego State set up, play its style of basketball, grinding out the clock, and then giving them free possessions. You have to be able to protect the ball and then make your high percentage shots and, and, and score. You know what I mean? So you have to match the defensive intensity. But when you have the ball, you have to be very critical in how you're playing each possession because San Diego State will make you pay for every single mis- – you know, we talk about costly mistakes. Any mistake against San Diego State is costly. A Brian Dutcher team, you know, and even before that, Steve Fisher, this is always a team that's going to capitalize on your mistakes, and they're going to make you pay for it. So I think that's the key for UNLV is just protecting the ball and playing a clean game and to, to keep things close. And I think if they can keep it close within that five-minute mark, San Diego State's going to be the team that's under pressure. They're going to feel the team that's going to be – they're going to be the team that feels that pressure late and sort of could maybe come up with – or could have a costly mistake turn it over to, to UNLV, and then UNLV takes advantage. So that's that's on the runner Rebels to, to do their job to keep it close. Other big key, <laughs> got to protect the offensive glass. Always. Nin- 19 offensive rebounds. Got that was the number San Diego State had last time around. Can not happen. So what you're going to see tonight is a balance. I think the Rebels are going to play some bigger lineups with true fours and fives. But what that means is that Mwoka is out there with Ham or – uh, Victor uh, Ewoker is out there with Ham. The other guys on the floor have to be hunting shots. So, like, Jordan McCabe in a lineup like that uh, can't be a guy who's passing up shots. Game's coming up here, 6 o'clock, 5.30, with running Rebel warm-up. Willie, awesome job. Appreciate it. Thanks to all our guests. Good job of uh, booking the show by Ari. Stick around. Running Rebel basketball is coming up, 5.30, with running Rebel warm-up. <laughs>